0: It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can find me on X at Charles Chill FFB. Please check out everything over at DestinationDevy.com. Access to all of the tools, links to all of the written content. And of course, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Destination Devy, and also the podcast feed here. And then also the podcast feed with Wake Up with Ray G. Other additional content on there. All of the Trades in 5 content is simulcasted on both channels. Then, of course, follow the Trades in 5 YouTube channel as well. And then finally, I have started to use the Didit app where you can do basically a one-time free call with me. Very similar to FaceTime, but you can share your Dynasty rosters. It's pretty cool. Didit, D-I-D-I-T. Check it out. Download the app for iPhone if you have that. Check it out, and if you're interested in setting up a call, let me know. Uh, Basically, I just go online, and anybody can call while I'm online, and it's literally like doing a FaceTime call. So if you're interested in that, that's going to be something that I'm going to be setting some time aside each week to do. I will post it in the Discord. I will post it on Twitter when I'm going to do that and probably give it maybe an hour or two a week where I can sit on there, talk to people about their leagues, their teams, their off-season strategy, et cetera. So if you're interested in that, Download the app again, D-I-D-I-T, and I'll let you know when I'm going to be around. And again, you get your first call for free, no matter how long you want to go. I've had a couple already that have lasted almost an hour where people literally go through their entire roster construction and other people just want to ask a question or two. So if you're interested, let me know and we will get you set up with a call. And this is going to be the last show about positional roster construction. I'm probably going to do one more next week, maybe not the full show, talking about roster construction wrap-up. But for this, the final show of the four-part series, check out the first three where I covered tight end, quarterback, and running back. This one is going to be the wide receiver position. And of course, just for a recap, I am using a 12-team Superflex start 11, 30-man rosters, and the only caveat being that it's 1.75 tight end premium. Nothing else is changing, and you can literally create a sleeper league with these settings, make it three receivers, change the tight end premium, and then make the rosters so that it's 30-man rosters and that they're start 11. That's it. Once you create that, everything else stays the same, and then you can plug that into the war tool And you can look at some of the stuff that I'm referencing today. And once you do that, you kind of get a better idea of how to roster construct. And you can even match that up based on what it looks like in your league. I'm using the three-year average war to kind of come up with how I'm going to look at things today versus what I did last year, because I did do the roster construction series at the end of 2022. And there's been a couple of things that have differed. Now, I saved the receiver for last for a couple of reasons. One, it really hasn't changed a ton since last year. So if you go back and listen to last year, I talked about essentially some of the same principles that I'm going to cover today. But I think what has changed is obviously the quarterback construction and the running back construction that I've talked about in the last two episodes. But more importantly, we've seen the degradation of running backs even more to where maybe running backs aren't valued any less than they were six months ago. A year ago, but I think what's changed is that more people have adopted that strategy, meaning that running backs as general assets in your league are less likely to be valued in a certain capacity compared to how they might've been previously. Meaning there's less like somebody in your league to say, you know what? I need to go trade for that running back. So as a couple more people start considering the position, man, I really don't want to invest much into it. We do have to kind of shift our construction or our behaviors to reflect that. So recapping the last three shows, I talked about 30-man rosters, and we're going to assume for this that this is the offseason. There is no injured reserve. There's no taxi. Now, maybe your league expands a couple spots for the rookie draft. I typically will do that, where if we have a four-round rookie draft, I will move the rosters up four more spots. So everyone has four more spots to accommodate those picks. At the start of the season, they have to cut back to whatever the number is. So here we're using 30, and I'm not going to assume any sort of expansion or anything. We can get to that maybe a later on at a later point. But for 30-man rosters, I had talked about, I really only want to roster two tight ends regardless. And that's almost regardless of the premium, but what drives maybe rostering a higher number than two is if the market likes tight ends. And that's why I used 1.75, because that's probably right on the brink where Tight ends still hold some value, but I really don't want to be rostering two because it's not enough of a premium. So you listen to that show. I talked about two tight ends. Then I went through and talked about quarterback and running back numbers. I ended up settling on somewhere between eight to 10 running backs. So let's call it nine. And then I settled somewhere between 10 to 13 or 11 to 13 quarterbacks. So let's call it 12 right in the middle. So 12 quarterbacks, nine running backs, two tight ends. That leaves us with the magic number of seven, seven wide receivers. Now you may say, okay, if receivers are the dominant position, why only seven? And the reason that I pick only seven is because from an optimal construction standpoint, I'm not talking about asset value. I'm not talking about any sort of attrition that happens during the offseason, or even during the season. I want to have a core of seven receivers. Now, the key is having those receivers in the right spots because it's very easy in practice to say, I want to have seven receivers. But when you start telling yourself a story about how, well, this receiver probably isn't going to do anything, but I'm going to count him as one of my seven. This receiver produced last year, but I don't really know if I want to count him as one of my seven going forward. So in that regard, I'm talking an optimal where I have seven core receivers. And if you just use this basic principle, so in a start 11, and I talked about this in depth last year, and I've done previous shows on this, calculating the wide receiver threshold. I'll make it simple. Let's make or the, the rule being the 1.5x rule at wide receivers and flexes. And basically what that is, is how many receivers am I required to start? So in this league, it's three. So 12 times three, that's 36. That's 36 receivers that are required to be started by the league across the entire league every week. Flexes. So in this case, there's going to be three flexes. I'm not going to count the super flex because I always want to start a quarterback there. But here I have three flexes available in a start 11. So that doubles it right there. That's 72 receivers that could be started, not counting the super flex in a given league every week. Now, I'm assuming that there's going to be times in a 1.75 where maybe the distribution of tight ends is going to be where a couple teams might be flexing a tight end. Whether it's optimal or not, it's going to happen. Same with running backs. Now, if you look at the optimal, like best ball distribution of this, you're looking at about a 45 to 50% ratio where wide receivers are going to hit those flexes. In best ball, it's going to be a little higher because of the nature of the position. But that's where I get the 1.5. So basically, the number of receivers that can be started across the league, 72 in a given week, right? 1.5, so essentially the three that I have to start, and then 50% of the flexes. So you're looking at a general threshold of wide receiver 54 and better, meaning I'm going to use that as the baseline of, I want every receiver I'm rostering to fit a criteria that's either production market value, or both within that top 54. So let's make it easier. Let's go top 50. Because again, I don't want to be rostering. If I'm saying I only have seven, there is a push and pull with who I roster within those seven. I don't want to have only seven receivers, but all of them are outside the top 24. At that point, you're going to say, okay, well, how do I match some of the teams that have better ones? Yes, I've hit the number, but I don't have the correct weight most likely with production. So you kind of have to weigh, you know, if I have three of the top 12 receivers, maybe I don't need seven. Maybe I only need six. So you can kind of look at it as a push and pull, but generally the threshold is going to be top 54, top 50. If you want to protect yourself and make sure that you're a little bit higher than the threshold, top 40. And again, that can be dynasty value or production, but make sure there's a bit of a balance, which is why people will come to me and say, well, you know, do you really only need seven receivers? In the optimal, yeah, I think you only need seven receivers, but you're likely to have maybe a rookie. Maybe you draft Xavier Worthy, and he's a late first-round pick, and he goes to a landing spot where you're like, all right, he's probably going to be okay, but I don't know if I can count on him for top 40, top 50 this year. Now he's got top 50 or top 40 dynasty value. If he's a first-round pick, he's going to hold the dynasty value but very similar to a guy like Jackson Smith and Jigba this year. He had the dynasty value, but you couldn't necessarily pencil in the production. So that's one where you may want to kind of counterbalance that by having another receiver that is a surefire top 40 producer, but maybe not valued there. Now, the easy thing is generally the guys that produce there will still kind of find the market value in that range. Meaning even guys like, Keenan Allen, Mike Evans, Tyler Lockett, DeAndre Hopkins. They may not be keep trade cut wise top 40 receivers on paper at all times, right? When the offseason hits, I'll bet you all four of those guys are easily outside the top 40. However, you probably are going, What is the real market value of one of those guys when they're on somebody else's roster? And everyone knows what this feels like. Go to your league and go, Okay. Let me go try to buy DeAndre Hopkins. And you look at his KTC price and you go, what is it? Wide receiver 59. And you look at some of the other players in that range and you'll see names and you go, there's no way I can trade that receiver for DeAndre Hopkins. Because during the season, it's a point where the teams that most likely have those guys have already admitted the fact they're holding them for the production for the rest of their career. They don't care about the value. So this is definitely a flexible number, the seven. But also understand that for every Jackson, Smith, and Jigba you have, you may want to have a Tyler Lockett. Now, what you don't want to do is end up doubling your receivers because you go, well, I have a bunch of prospects, and then I have a bunch of old productive guys, which means ideally you want to find probably at least five of those, seven that fit both, that have value insulation, that are top 30, top 40 valued receivers, but they're also producing in that range. They're also producing top 24 numbers. And generally, if you're a young player and you're producing top 34, top 30, top 24 numbers, you're likely valued in that range too. It's just the nature of how we value players. But the idea being the seven number is the optimal. You may have eight, you may have nine, but just keep in mind that if you ever run into a point where there's a little bit of excess, then that's where you can go to the market. And that's gonna be the next component of this is why would you maybe want to expand and how do you play it? Because trust me, there's going to be times where during the season, you have two bye weeks, two injuries at wide receiver, and you're going, I am so tempted to go pick up that random fill-in receiver off waivers. Man, I'm going to blow my whole budget on Parker Washington this week to pick him up. And that's not going to feel great when you're trying to construct in a certain way. But that's the kind of thing you can react on in the fly. If it's in the middle of the season and it's literally desperation, I have no problem straying from the optimal roster construction, but we're going into the off season. So kind of looking at that and going into the year, at least planning to be close to the optimal. I think it's important to do that at receiver, especially if you have a plan on, you know, other things you're going to do with moves besides the receivers. Meaning you kind of have the core of receivers that are locked up. Now, if a couple of them get hurt, one or two of them kind of gets cucked in the draft by a rookie, that's okay. That kind of stuff can happen. You can adapt on the fly. But I think seven is the sweet spot number. And I also think one of the benefits is when you look at the war. So if you pull up this league, create one of these leagues like I was talking about, pull up the war and look at the distribution of the war from outside of even the top 24. Look how flat it becomes all the way down to wide receiver 50, 40, 50. So it really starts to flatten off and that becomes the range where you say, man, I really want to be able to capture that war when those guys have spike weeks. It's the Gabe Davis effect that I've talked about how many times on this show. Because most people would say Gabe Davis is not one of the threshold receivers that you would want. And the problem with that is if you're not setting him up within that seven roster spots that you're allocating to wide receivers to capture all of the war that he's going to give you, then you're really kind of going against why you would roster construct in this way in the first place. I have a couple teams where Gabe Davis is my wide receiver eight or nine, and that's probably a flaw because I haven't started him every week. Now, there's a couple times where I've started him, and generally, if you're at a number that's like eight, you're going to have most weeks where you're going to play Gabe Davis. But what you don't want to happen is roster construct in a way where you go, okay, I'm guessing on him every week, and I'm getting frustrated with him because he's not producing consistently. Yet you look up at his war at the end of the year and you go, wow, he was wide receiver 38 war a hundred percent. That fits within the threshold. And I guarantee you within four or five of those weeks, He put up numbers where you go, damn, I really wish I had him in the lineup, which makes people say he's a best ball only receiver. That's not true. I want to bust that narrative that there are best ball only receivers. There are receivers that are easier to to want to have in best ball. But when you're talking roster construction, there's a reason why they're better in best ball because people don't roster construct right. Therefore, they don't capture a lot of the points or the war that the players produce. And then they go out and scream that the receiver isn't good enough. They're not consistent enough. I can't produce or predict what they're going to give me every week, meaning they're not giving me five for 60, even if they have a bad game, which means people get frustrated and it lowers their dynasty value. So I think this is a hack that you can use to go, okay, if I'm going to roster construct, right, I'm fine with Gabe Davis as my wide receiver seven. And I don't even want to say the name Gabe Davis he's going to be a free agent who the hell knows what's going to end up with him if he's not on buffalo he probably doesn't fit this category anymore but you've been able to ride him now for the third year in this similar range where he's a wide receiver three wide receiver four his end of season numbers from a points per game perspective are going to be right there with many other names that people go well that guy's valuable but Gabe Davis isn't because he's not consistent but the people that roster constructed right and said, well, he's my wide receiver six or seven. And in a start 11, guess what I'm doing? Starting him every week. I will live with the fact that he's going to give me half a dozen games of five points or less. He's going to give me maybe a zero, but he's also going to give me four or five games where he gives me 25 points. I want to capture every one of those. And in a lineup league, it's free value when you hit one of those. In fact, when you hit one of those from your last receiver or your last flex, you're really hard to beat in those weeks, especially if you have some guys tiered higher than him that do have floors. They do have Jamar Chase, CeeDee Lamb, Amon Ross, St. Brown. Those guys are giving you, even in bad games, they're giving you 12 to 15 points. And then when they spike, you're talking 30 plus. So as long as you have it layered properly, you can take advantage of this fact that people are biased against receivers that seem to be boom or bust. So this roster construction is a perfect way to round out your wide receiver rooms with those guys. The second thing, we have the Trinity tool. So if you're trying to figure out who could be a threshold receiver, who is a good receiver that I could maybe throw into one of these spots? How can I go play the market? I mean, one of the best tools that I've seen out there, and I'll just say, it's the best tool right now on the dynasty market that can weigh bang for your buck at wide receiver. Sign up at DestinationDebbie.com, the Trinity tool. You can literally go in and you can run the Trinity data against keep trade cut value. Now, that may not be exactly reflective of your league, but you can literally look at, okay, who are the receivers that are better bangs for my buck? You can look at their fantasy points over expected, and then you look at their KTC value. It has never been easier to figure out how to build a wide receiver room, even in a lineup league. Best ball, it's easy. You go and just get as many of these guys as you can. But in lineup leagues, if I'm saying, hey, you only want to roster around seven receivers, you got to be very meticulous who those are. And this means going through your team, and even if you have slightly more roster spots or less roster spots or it's one less starter, I mean, you figure it out for your league. You can adjust accordingly off the roster construction series but go through and get rid of the dead weight. I mean, if anything you've learned from these last four episodes is that when you go through and look at your rosters, and I'm guilty, so I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm not guilty of this, but I'd say 90% of my lineup leagues are already operating at a very high efficiency level, meaning I'm not rostering roster cloggers. In fact, I would rather go under that number of seven and eliminate the roster cloggers now and figure out ways to get some of those threshold receivers back versus a big mistake that people make is they look at their team and they go, okay, I'm a little weak at receiver, right? Meaning I don't have the seven number. Let's say it's seven in my league. I don't have seven. I really only have four. What do I do? And then you look at your bench and you go, well, because I only have four, I stare at my bench and I go, Oh, there's a Alan Lazard sitting there. I'm still rostering Donovan Peoples-Jones. Ooh, I drafted Jonathan Mingo, still sitting on him. Maybe I picked up Parker Washington. I picked up Noah Brown. So I have too many receivers, but there's a reason that I picked up some of those guys is because I go, I can start Noah Brown. I can start Parker Washington this week. You know, I'm stashing Donovan Peoples-Jones after he got traded to Detroit. But people tell themselves the story is because they're weak at the top at wide receiver. I don't have enough core receivers. I need to make up for that by clogging my team with a bunch of lower end ones. And no, you'd rather just get rid of them. You'd rather just eliminate that clutter. Because I've already talked about in the quarterback and running back episode, there's better stuff you can be rostering in lieu of Donovan Peoples-Jones. So I'll do a receiver report here in a couple weeks. I always do it at the end of the year to kind of look at who are the cloggers, who are maybe the guys you want to stash for the end of the season or through into the offseason. But be cognizant, just because you're shy of that number at seven, just because you say my receivers are weak in that league, doesn't mean you go, well, I need to roster a bunch of extra bodies that are at the very, very bottom, bottom of the dynasty tiers. Just because I don't have enough good receivers. No, get rid of them. You can always build receivers back. And that's what the Trinity tour for tool is for. You can go back and look at, okay, who maybe can I buy for a second rounder? You know, who can I go through and maybe add to my stable? So that's the biggest thing is operating at extreme efficiency at receiver. I'd rather cut down lower than seven than justify holding seven or more just because I'm weak at the position. And then you can double down on the fact, let's say you're actually strong at the position. Let's say you've had a couple guys that have lasted longer than you think. Mike Evans lasted a year longer than you think. You could probably count on him next year. Keenan Allen, DeAndre Hopkins. These guys probably all fit the threshold definition after what they've done this year. So you maybe didn't think that, and now you go, okay, I'm going into the offseason. I have a couple teams where I'm rostering Hopkins and Evans, and I'm competing. So I'm kind of like, all right, I'm going to ride these guys out. But I go into the offseason, and let's say they're my wide receivers 7 and 8, and then I have a couple first-round picks. Maybe I have a, an early second and two firsts, two mid-to-late firsts. So I'm probably going to have three bites at the apple there in a strong receiver class to add three more quote-unquote threshold receivers gives me a lot of flexibility. Guess what I can do then? I can then go, what is the best asset to trade? Now, unfortunately, it's not Mike Evans or Keenan Allen, but because I can count them towards this threshold next year, maybe I can move up a tier. Maybe I can look at one of my receivers that I think is above them in dynasty value. Maybe I'm sitting on Zay Flowers. I don't really want to trade Zay Flowers, but on that roster, I have excess. And I can play in a shorter window where, okay, I have these draft picks. I have eight threshold receivers. A couple of them are old, but man, if I'm willing to move a guy like Zay Flowers, because you're not going to go and say I'll move Mike Evans. What can I add to Mike Evans to get a better player, a better quarterback? Nothing, nothing, zero. Not in the off season. So that's where you can go. Okay, I can trade from the actual valuable assets I have at receiver. Bank on a couple of the older guys, knowing I'm going to have to replace them eventually. But right now. I have an influx at the position. I mean, I have an influx of capital that can come in and I already have eight of my threshold. So I have some excess to move. And a great strategy is to go through and say, where can I upgrade? Can I upgrade at QB? Can I upgrade at tight end? Another really smart idea is because the wide receiver market is so heavy right now. Meaning there's probably, if you have those three picks, three top 10, three top 15 picks, and you have eight threshold receivers, there's probably a couple teams in your league that are feeling a little uncomfortable at receiver. They may only have three. They may only have four. They may not have any draft capital. They may only have one pick in the top five of the draft, but they need a quarterback. And they're sitting there going, man, I really need receiver, but man, my quarterbacks also suck. So they have decisions to make. They may be somebody that's willing to move a higher pick. If you're willing to move that second in Zay Flowers, they'll give you the 105, the 106. That's a chance maybe you can tear up. And even if it's tear up to draft another rookie receiver, it's still also tearing up to having a singular asset that may be able to go get you an upgrade somewhere else. Another great idea, if you find yourself flush with receivers, flush with a couple picks. So let's say you have eight receivers and you have three top 15 picks. The example I gave, you potentially have 10 or 11. You don't need 10 or 11. What you don't want to do is just draft three rookie receivers with those picks because you probably pissed away at least one of those picks, maybe even two, because you don't need to do it. I'd rather be creative and say, okay, can I go move? And here's a good example. Can I go move Zay Flowers in the example that I just gave? Can I go move Zay Flowers and look, be real meticulous about the teams? I talked about this in the offseason last year. One of the new edges is to find teams that you don't trust as a manager. I did this twice last year that have paid off in spades. Twice I was able to flip my first and some pedestrian pieces, like a Tank Bigsby, a Kendra Miller, a second, I'm like throw in some stuff into a deal. I swap first with a team. Both picks right now are currently the 101. I have five 101s projected, two of them came in pick swaps. Where the team just goes, I'm probably on the fringe. I need a couple other pieces. Scott's giving me a three for one. And and neither league were teams where my team was so good that they were afraid to swap a pick with me. I had a better team than them. But it wasn't like, oh my gosh, he's won four straight championships. I'm not swapping first with him because mine could be top five. His is going to be outside of the top ten. That wasn't the case. I identified using tools like Dynasty Daddy, using the Dynasty Nerds GM tool. There's a ton of tools out there where you can basically measure the equity or the asset value on a team. And you can go, you know what? I know that manager. They haven't really impressed me. They operate too slow. They're not efficient with their roster construction. I'm going to go bet against their future first, and I'll swap first with them, or I'll sell them. Zay Flowers and something and get their 25 first sight unforeseen. It's just a bet against them. But I'm just saying that is an advantage where if you're right, if you're right and that team falls apart, has a couple injuries. And here's the thing. Everybody's going to have players that get injured. Everybody is going to have players that underperform, but where the bad managers don't make up for that poor roster construction, or they just can't trade someone that's injured. Anthony Richardson gets injured. They cannot move them for the life of them. They will eat that zero for the rest of the year. They won't address quarterback. You know why? Because they love Anthony Richardson. Cannot move them. So those types of teams, when negative variance hits them, they're not willing to move fast enough to fix it. And all of a sudden, they traded away the 103 next year for Zay Flowers on a team where you don't even need the receivers. You're already flush. And now guess what you have? A top three pick. So it's that type of deal where it may be difficult to forecast those picks, but there are strategic bets, especially if you've been in your league for a while. If this is a third or fourth year of the league, let's be real. You know, the managers where you're like, Hey, I'm just not that impressed. I'm not impressed with how this person manages their team. Maybe they're not that active. Maybe they don't trade that much. Maybe they don't have efficient roster construction. Maybe they're not people that are even maximizing their roster spots like it's 30 man rosters they're only carrying 27 like you can look at somebody's team within three minutes you can look at their activity for the year and look at their team and i can tell you straight off the bat if they're a team that is an efficient manager and then you look at it and say are they somebody that's going to double down on their prior takes they're not going to sell players that are falling fast enough they're not going to swap out injured players they don't understand kind of dead zone tiers of players where if they have a player that's a wide receiver three, and they're not performing, but they still hold top 30 value, move on from them. But you know this manager is not going to do those small things to keep them out of you know, the 103 or 104 if things go wrong. And if they go really wrong, the better thing is is sometimes you'll see those managers, it starts to go wrong. They don't hold their pick, but then they'll say, man, I really need to dump some of these players. There's not a better feeling in Dynasty than when you hold somebody's first and they announce that they're blowing it up. They announce that they're tanking for the rest of the year. And sometimes you have to do that. You have assets that you need to move, and it's really hard sometimes to admit that I don't have my own first, so I want to just fight, fight, fight like hell to make sure that pick's not the 101. If it's the 104 and I still miss the playoffs, fine, but at least I didn't give somebody the 101. But there's times where you just cannot stop the onslaught. And the person goes, you know what? I need to blow it up. I'll eat the fact that I don't have my first. A lot of times they'll come try to get their first back. And there's no worse place to be in Dynasty when somebody says, hey, can I get my first back? And you respond with, well, you're trying to blow your team up. Which means by you trying to get your first back, you're you're actually handing me a better pick with what you're trying to do with this. You've actively said in the chat you're blowing your team up. And you've actively come to me and said, you want to give me anything that you have that can score points, but you need your own first back. So if you don't deal with me to get your first back, you're probably still going to go make these moves with somebody else, which only is going to make my pick better than I'm already holding. So it's really smart. I think if you have an excess of wide receivers to literally go through and say, okay, there's probably one or two managers in my league where maybe they've been middle of the pack for a couple of years. They don't have great construction. They kind of have a roster where you look at it and you go and you can spot these teams. They don't really have any core pieces. They probably don't have core quarterbacks. You look at their team and you go, that's just the sixth best team in the league. If things go right, they're the sixth or fifth best team in the league. If things go wrong, it could be the worst team. It could be a bottom three team. And just make the bet. Don't try to gouge. Just go to them and say, hey, I got an excess of receivers. I'm not going to try to sell you Mike Evans or Keenan Allen or DeAndre Hopkins. I'll eat those guys. But, hey, I got a couple receivers that are in that next tier. I got a Zay Flowers. I got a Jordan Addison. You interested in those guys? And they might be. And the key is to kind of make them bet against themselves. You know, they probably don't want to give up their future capital, but they're probably also looking at a roster that's somewhere in the middle. And they figure, hey, if I can buy Jordan Addison with my 25 first, even if I lose that deal, I should get production. And I should also get a young, productive receiver that even if they lose the deal, they didn't get a zero. They didn't burn that pick on Devontae Adams, and then he ends up shutting it down halfway through, and he's never the same. So they think they're buying some insulation, and for you, you're buying some insulation in the form of the draft pick, but you're also buying a lot more upside than they are probably by buying somebody like Addison or Zay Flowers. And it's no knock on those guys. It's just they probably are what they are. They probably settle in this wide receiver 12 to 30 range for the rest of their career, and that's fine. But I'd always sell that at a roll for a potential top four pick. So I think that's another thing you can do with excess wide receivers. So it's interesting when you look at these threshold numbers and why the roster construction matters the most. And there's two reasons, obviously. One, you're more likely to capture some of those volatile spike weeks that people will say are best ball only. And two, you are, you are holding pieces that are the dominant currency, other than draft picks, other than quarterbacks. If you have extra receivers that are productive, especially ones that are still in their prime, guys that are 27 or under, even if they're profiled as wide receiver twos or threes, there's a market for them. That's why I keep mentioning those rookie receivers. That's why I keep mentioning guys that are stuck in that. They're perpetually good, but they're not somebody that's going to burn you and put up top five, top six numbers. So there's a bunch of them. Even guys that have been productive, guys like Nico Collins. Players like that, no knock on Nico Collins. But after this year, that's a player, if he's going for first, he's one of those re-roll candidates where you're willing to say, all right, I'll sell him for somebody's 25 first. Even if it's a middle of the pack team and you think it's not that great of a pick or I don't really want to trade for future first, it's okay. And even if you're at seven receivers, even if you don't have the path to getting to eight, nine, 10, it's still a strong bet to do that. And that's just because it's such a wide receiver dominant market. Then the last thing, I mean, how do I use excess receivers? Because there's a lot of dead zone receivers. I mentioned top 54 being the threshold, but then you're going to say, well, what do I do with guys that are probably players I don't want to cut, but they're also guys that are below that. So names like Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt, Some guys that people are probably holding where they say, you know what, I can't drop that guy because there's a chance that he could be a cheaper threshold receiver next year. Someone like Josh Palmer. There's a lot of names in there where you say, I don't really know what to do with this guy. If you find yourself too many receivers in and you're wondering what to do with these guys, liquidate. Liquidate for picks. Josh Palmer for a third. I get it. He could be in the Chargers offense. He's going to be in the Chargers offense next year because he's on a rookie deal. He could also be somebody where you go, hey, he's a top 50 weekly receiver next season. But I'm okay betting against that. There's a lot of guys that fit that range. Guys like Jalen Hyatt, guys like Cedric Tillman. They're not going anywhere but up because they've been decent or they've done something as a rookie. Michael Wilson, that's another one. Or people go, okay, you know, I can stomach rostering this guy, but what are they? You know, why wouldn't you take a couple thirds for a guy like Michael Wilson? Why wouldn't you take a third and a running back or a third and a backup quarterback? And that's how you use the receiver market to your advantage. The one thing that receivers outside of the threshold may have is some sort of name cachet or market value. Yet you're sitting and looking at somebody like Rashid Shahid. In a lineup league, you probably don't have room for more than one Rashid Shahid on a roster. Now you could say, okay, maybe he's the next Gabe Davis. Maybe he fits that same mold. Fine. But you want to also look at what's the opportunity cost of that. I don't want to hold him when he's my wide receiver eight, when he's my wide receiver nine, can I trade him for a third and a backup quarterback next year? So right there, bang for your buck, you're getting closer to roster construction because you're dumping a receiver, you're getting a pick that you can stash, and you're getting a backup quarterback, which you got to move up to that quota. Sometimes a lot of the backup QBs are rostered. They probably are during the year. So you're wondering, how the hell do I get names like Mike White? Mike White could be the Dolphins backup. He's probably the favorite to be the Dolphins backup next year. Hasn't gotten in there once this year hasn't got to it hasn't had the concussion or gotten knocked out or anything but going into next year i'm going i probably want to have mike white but he's rostered in every league so how do i get him this is a creative way where you can get him sending Jalen hyatt for mike white in a third and people go ah, i like Jalen hyatt forget the player name you got to step back from the player name and look at the construction but this is a good way to find those ranges of receivers that are the dead zone. They're outside the top 50, but they're not guys I'd feel comfortable cutting. And you're going to be rostering a ton of them. So literally pull up, keep trade cut, pull up the Trinity tool, spot some of those dead zone guys, especially if you're outside of construction and go, okay, how can I get creative? How can I maybe buy some backup quarterbacks and see if you can get closer to that optimal construction of 12 QBs. So it's tough. You got to grind. But the good thing is, at least for leagues that trading opens up right after the season, you got nothing but time. After the fantasy season is over, you have between then and the combine NFL free agency before there's really anything that's going to happen. There may be a trade here, there, a couple contract extensions, et cetera, but there's not a lot that's going to happen. And so being able to make some of these moves and you got to capitalize on the timing too, right? There's going to be a dead zone window of time where, Players that are outgoing free agents, if people like them, they're excited to have them. Ah, I can't wait to see where that guy signs, right? Then there's other players where you go, I can't wait until those guys leave so that it's going to be a clear path for Jalen Hyatt. He's going to be the number two next year in New York. But there might be a window where people are like, okay, I'm buying into Jalen Hyatt. And I'm sitting here looking at him, going, All right, he might fit a spot. He might fit the Gabe Davis role, the Rashid Shahid role. But I probably don't want more than one of those guys per team. So if I have a team that has three or four of these guys that are stuck in that range, how can I be creative to get some liquidation slash maybe some better roster construction deals? And that's the classic leverage deal. Can I get a third and a backup QB for a receiver? That is probably the sweet spot. With the intention being, hey, I've moved closer to my construction. I've netted a third, which gives me more flexibility when the rookie draft gets here. But it's also addition by subtraction because I've dumped Rashid Shaheed off of my start 11 lineup league trust me, you're not going to miss them. You are not going to miss a lot of receivers in that range. So that's it in a nutshell. Use the Trinity tool. Use Keep Trade Cut. Literally go through and do the analysis in your league on what the construction or what the roster wide receiver threshold should look like and go from there and just operate pure process. This is probably one of the biggest spots in Dynasty where process can really take advantage of people that do not have one. Because you can hook people in with wide receiver names. Oh man, Michael Wilson, I really liked him, and he's going to get opportunity next year in Arizona. And you're going to miss on one of these every once in a while. But I think because of the name cache of receivers, because it's such a high valued receiver market right now, this is a market you can take advantage of. This is a spot you can take advantage of if you're willing to just follow the roster construction principles. So I'm going to be right there with everybody. Listen, one thing that I pride myself on is I actually go out here and do this stuff. I'm out here doing it. There's a lot of other analysts out there. They don't do shit. They don't play in dynasty leagues. They don't don't grind. They don't do a lot of stuff they're talking about. In fact, they'll say, I have too much work to do content-wise that I actually can't play in a lot of leagues. And that's fine. If you admit that, that's fine. But don't sit out there and pretend that you know, you're doing all of this and cause I've seen it firsthand where people will say they're doing it. And then I'm literally in leagues with them. They're not doing it. I look at their roster. I'm in some leagues with some analysts, look at their rosters. They're absolute garbage. There's no roster construction. There's no rhyme or reason as to what they're doing. And I'm not calling anybody out specifically, but I'm actually out here doing this stuff. So if you trust it, if you like it, Hit me up with questions. As always, check out the Discord. You can sign up at DestinationDebbie.com or Patreon.com slash AllGas. There's a Trades in 5 tier. There's a Destination 5 tier. You get access to bonus podcasts every single week. We are going to be revamping our content schedule as well. Uh, So there's going to be some new stuff. There's going to be some stuff coming out in the Discord. Off-season usually means more time for data deep diving, analysis. So a lot of the stuff that, honestly, I like to do more than the in-season grind. The in-season grind is what it is. There's a place for it. You got to go through it. But I really enjoy the off-season where you can kind of sit back, dissect what just happened. How does that change your prior methodologies and approaches uh, from the year before? And then start planning for the next season. So if you're into this kind of stuff, hit me up, leave feedback. Check out the Didit app, D-I-D-I-T. Download that app and hit me up if you want to do a free call. We can literally talk about whatever you want. You get it for free. So basically it's like a FaceTime call. You literally get it for free and we can talk about whatever you want. Roster construction, look at your team, talk about trades, draft plans, whatever. So if you have one of those teams where you're like, I'd really, really love like an hour of just free time talking through it with Scott. Like I'll be there. Let me know. Message me. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on Discord, wherever you might be able to catch me. I get so many messages on Twitter sometimes that I literally can't get back to them. It, it, I just don't have the mindset or mind capacity to do it. Uh, but if you're interested, hit me up. Also on the Did it app, you can message me in there. So if you do that, I'll probably get to it. Uh, let me know if you want to set up a free call. Again, it's free to you to go over whatever you want, and you can share your teams literally via your smartphone. So it's very easy to get direct feedback, talk through your off-season plan if you're interested in that. And then finally, roster reviews. Uh, roster review at dynastytradesin5.com hit us up if you're interested, inquire there about the options. If you want to do a full breakdown with a video and talk through war construction and all of that kind of stuff, uh, you can do that as well. So either did it or that check out everything at the website at destinationdevi.com. and appreciate everybody riding along with this roster construction series. It's something that I love doing every single year. uh, And it challenges me because a lot has changed since last season. I mean, not a lot, but there's been enough that's changed that it's worth doing this series every single year because the sport, is always evolving how teams are using players is always evolving so it's very fascinating to grind this data again for 2020 to three see how it's going to approach uh into 2024 so with that i will go ahead and sign off good luck everybody this is the final week into making the fantasy playoffs hope you get there if not that's okay there's always next season but best of luck if you have any players still going tonight on monday night football because there's a couple games so a lot of playoff bids are probably going to be determined this evening and with that I will go ahead and sign off. Be chill. There's a rumor going down About me and you. Stirring-